You're about to hear a sermon that was preached for the people of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. Sacred City Moline is a gospel-centered missional church that aims to make disciples plant churches and renew the cities. If you want to hear more about Sacred City Church or become part of what we're doing here, we encourage you to visit us at scmoline.com. Now, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Hear the word of the Lord from John 10, 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out all on his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. <clears throat> this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may, may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that, it may, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, and this is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, if you're new to Sacred City, one of the things that we do is we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. And for uh, the last several months, we, we took a little bit of a break in here, but we've been going through the Gospel of John. It's probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. I'm pretty sure I say that with every book that we go to, because the more time I spend in it, the more I love it. But, but John is certainly uh, amongst my favorite of the Gospel accounts. And, uh, and we've been going through the Gospel of John, and we today are arriving at John chapter 10, at a very, very famous passage um, that we have from Jesus. And in order to set this, uh, this 
up, I want to tell you a little story. I don't do this very often, but give you a glance into my life here. Um, I grew up in rural Iowa, small town, farm town. My dad was a farmer for a long time. Um, Grew up on on the family farm. And uh, one of the traditions our family had was to be involved in 4-H. And if you're city folk, you don't know what 4-H is. 4-H is basically uh, Boy Scouts for farm kids, okay? Um, And so I I participated in 4-H through uh, my childhood. We did all kinds of projects. The, the, The county fair was one of my favorite weeks of the year. Always looking forward to it. Did a lot of projects, woodworking, restoration projects nutrition stuff, all kinds of fun stuff. But my, my favorite part about being in 4-H was, was raising livestock, showing animals. Um, and, and it was just fun. It was a rewarding thing. Um, pigs, I found out, were super easy. Really, you just had to keep them alive for a year. And then you'd bring them to a ring and chase them around. It's a pretty simple uh, gig. I, I later upgraded as I got good at that and took on more responsibility to, to caring for bigger animals, sheep and cattle. Cattle was great. It was probably the hardest amount of work. Uh, but at the end, there was always an auction where you'd get a good, good, good chunk of cash in your pocket after you sell your animal. And so that was always pretty rewarding. Uh, and I, I, I raised sheep and showed sheep for a while. And I, I can look back on that and say it just wasn't worth it. Okay, sheep... <laughs> Not great. They smell. There's, there's a lot of things. Their cuteness, I, I think, I know that there's at least a few people in here that would uh, uh, pledge to their cuteness. Um, but for me, their cuteness was offset by their devastating character flaws. Okay? Um, sheep, if, if you've never spent any time around sheep, first of all, they have a very distinct smell that is not very pleasant. I wish probably true for all animals, but this is a, a certain potency. Um, but in addition to their stench, they're, they're a bit skittish. They, they don't really like people. And so as a young kid trying to, to get sheep to, you know, to walk with you in a show ring, really tough gig. Um, and on top of that, they operate by this herd mentality. Um, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But but they're easily spooked because of that, because they like to be in this group, um, because they're very skittish, they're very easily spooked. And I learned this the hard way one year. Um, in order to train a, a lamb to be shown in the show ring, you have to go through like this sequence of events. Of, uh, first, they have to get comfortable with you. Um, so, so you get up close to them and they don't get spooked, able to lead them around so that eventually as they get comfortable walking alongside of you, you can take the halter off and basically you hold them behind the ears and fr- underneath the jaw and you kind of sh- walk them through the show ring, okay? But, but it's a long process to get to that point from being very spooked and skittish to then being comfortable enough to walk them by the neck through the... Uh, through the show ring. And um, one of the things that makes this really challenging is that sheep are very social animals. That, that herd mentality, they don't like to be alone. And so in order to do this, you, you gotta spend some time with individual sheep, but when you, uh, first, first you gotta learn how to like walk them around with a halter in the pen, and then you get outside of the pen and you're kinda free range. Um, but, but if you take one lamb out by itself, the whole time it's out by itself, all it wants to do is get back to the rest of the sheep. And so you're constantly fighting this urge for them to jump back and you know, try to get back to the barn. And, uh, and so typically you have to do it by pairs, so they're not so, you know, they don't feel so lonely. But this year I had three sheep. So the math here was not on my side. I couldn't take one lamb out by itself because I always try to get back. If I tried to get two lambs out, there'd be one just bleeding its head off back, back at the pen, trying to get to us. And so, you know, I'm probably, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. It basically envisioned me just sort of compact a little bit, chubby little fella. And, um, and I'm, I'm trying to, to, to lead these sheep. I've got three of them at a time, which is terrifying. And uh, as we get used to them, 
Uh, we had this pretty long lane. As a kid, it felt like it was three miles long, but in reality, it was probably like 200 meters. And, and what I would do, I'd, I'd get him out of the pen, I'd walk him up and down our lane, get some multiple reps, trying to build comfortability, be next to him, build some muscle, all that stuff. And, uh, and this is one of the first times I'd taken all three of these lambs out to go up and down this lane by myself. And it was going pretty well. We did a couple laps, went around, you know, and we were on the last lap. I get up to the road. Uh, we've got a gravel road that runs alongside our house and we're turned around heading back to, to the barn and out of nowhere comes this car down the gravel road. And if you've ever lived on a gravel road, you know that when car goes by, it's, it's loud. There's a lot of dust, gravel dust gets kicked up, rocks flying everywhere. And, and before I knew it, I was being dragged by three sheep down our lane. Just hold on for dear life because the hardest thing, you know, if I let go, there was no getting those sheep back because <laughs> they're gone. So I'm here getting dragged by these sheep down the lane. Just the spooked nature of the sheep put right on display. Now, I tell you all this maybe to get some laughs, but also to show that John chapter 10 requires a bit of understanding of sheep. This is Jesus's primary illustration in this passage. Um, we need to know the general nature of sheep, the, the fact that they like the herd. They like, they're generally skittish. They, they get spooked easily. But we also need to have a general understanding of the practices of shepherding in the first century. Um, this is really crucial for us to understand, to see how this passage, the significance of this passage gets played out. By day, um, shepherds, and, and, and there's a lot of differences between modern farming with sheep and, and what they were doing in the first century. By day, first century shepherds would take their herds out to graze. Um, they'd go to the pastures, they'd go where the getting's good, where the food is, where the grass is green. They'd take them to still waters and so they could, could uh, refresh their lambs. And the, the shepherds spent time with them. They knew their flock very, very well. The, the sheep were very responsive to their, their shepherd, their leader. And he would lead them out and then at the end of the day, he would bring them back into the town area where there would be a community pen where many shepherds, many families would hire a gatekeeper to kind of stand watch at the gate through the night and make sure that nobody got in and no sheep got out. Okay, so they had this rhythm, they go out, they bring them back to this pen, and then the next morning, the shepherds would come and he would collect his sheep from this communal pen. The, the sheep sort of all got mixed in together, all the different herds mixed together, but one of the things, because the shepherds spent so much time with the sheep is that they knew their shepherds very well, and so when they saw their shepherd, when they heard their shepherd's voice, they would naturally, by, on their own volition, would come out of the pen and follow their shepherds. And so modern shepherd of moving from pen to pen, sheep would respond just by following their shepherds. They would hear his voice, they would know his voice, they would trust his, their shepherd and they would follow him out. This was a, a very common practice of shepherding in the first century. Um, and not only that, it was a massive part of Israel's economy for, for centuries past. And not just a massive part of their economy, this, this shepherd-sheep relationship was a huge part of Israel's story. Because many of, of the, the key people throughout the Old Testament, many of the heroes of the faith, at one point were deployed as shepherds. You've got guys like Moses, who was a shepherd. You've got Abraham. You've got Jacob. You've got um, uh, 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 King David. All of these guys at one point were occupying the place as a shepherd. They had a, a herd that they were to tend to. And so as Jesus uses this illustration about sheep in John chapter 10, this is a very familiar concept. All of these things would just be the natural assumption of this is what it looked like to be a shepherd to 
a flock. Now, as modern readers, we, we need a little bit of help with that. Um, and if we don't have that context, it's, it's hard to understand really what Jesus is saying in John chapter 10. But not only do we need that background context of shepherding, one of the things that we need to see to understand John chapter 10 is understand that there's a, a direct connection between John 10 and John chapter 9, which we looked at last week. Now, if you weren't here last week, this is where Jesus showed up. He healed a man who was born blind. And, and then what happens is this guy, um, he presents himself to the Jewish leaders. They're very skeptical of him. You can see this even in our text today that there's debate uh, about who Jesus is, his powers, who he's, yeah, is he a demon? Is he truly the son of God? And so the the Pharisees don't like this guy. They, they, don't, well, they don't like Jesus, and because this guy likes Jesus, they don't like him, and they, they usher him out of the synagogue after his whole healing ordeal. And if you don't understand this, this kind of this rub between Jesus and the Pharisees that goes on in chapter 9 and carries on to chapter 10, uh, you, you don't see this connection here between these two chapters. And, and one of the things that we need to see, first of all, there's no transition in John chapter 10. There's no relocation of Jesus. He, he doesn't change his place, and now he's got a new context where he's preaching. He's in the same place where he had just healed this man. And so we need to understand the direct connection between John 9 excuse me, in John chapter 10. But then it has to go back even farther, like you're kind of zooming out, zooming out, zooming out, and to understand the significance of John chapters nine and 10, what we need to do is take a step back even further and understand the bigger picture. The whole, really, the whole scriptures themselves uh, give us a context, give us a background for interpreting and understanding this passage. Because in the Old Testament, God has presented himself as a shepherd of Israel. Um, this is something that you can see all, all over the place. If you're looking for these references, it's all over the place. For example, as one of the patriarchs, um, Jacob is on, on his departing uh, speech here as, he, as he's sort of um, blessing his family as, he, as he's about to enter into glory. He says in Genesis 48, 15, he says, it's the God, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long. He makes this reference as the fact that God has been a shepherd to him. He has guided him, he has protected him, he has provided for him through all the days of his life. And then you see the same shepherdly uh, interaction between God and his people in passages like, uh, like the Exodus, the whole story of the Exodus, where God um, appears to his people who are trapped in Egyptian slavery. He delivers his people out of them, and he, he leads them out of, of slavery into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. And of course, this reference of, of the Lord as the shepherd is referenced in maybe the most famous psalm of all. Uh, Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So all through the scriptures, we see this relationship between God and his people equated to a shepherd and his flock, where he leads, he, God occupies that place as the shepherd of Israel. What God does is he installs under shepherds to uh, care for his people directly in his place. Um, he gives kings and religious leaders who are charged to directly tend to his flock, to be right there in the midst of his people in a very tangible kind of way. 
And in the New Testament, we see the same concept uh, with, with God providing elders or pastors to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. And so you see this God, the great shepherd, and under him are his under shepherds, people who are deployed, and they're supposed to shepherd God's people in the way that God shepherds his people, which Jeremiah 3, 15 says, he, he says, God says in prophecy, he says, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And so you have these people, these men who are called to this office of, of under shepherd, who are meant to lead God's people in a way that reflects God's shepherdly care for his people. Now, as God gives that duty to certain men to care for the flock of God, what we see in, in a passage like um, Ezekiel chapter 34 is that these under shepherds have failed to live up to the calling that God has placed on them. And in this prophecy, there is an admonition of them against the under shepherds. Let me, let me this is a longer passage. I'm gonna read it all to give you the whole picture of this. God is very displeased. Um, Ezekiel says, for the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, the, uh, says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves? Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back to the lost, you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them, so they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they were want they they wandered over all the mountains and every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. What we see here is the under-shepherds of God have forsaken their God-given duty. Instead of caring for the flock of God, they have become self-focused. Instead of feeding the sheep, they have fed on the sheep. And God has an issue with that because God is a just God, because God is a God of standard. He takes issue 
because of bad leadership. And, and a case study of this, a real-time example of this in Jesus' time is in John chapter nine, right? The blind man who gets healed, and then the Pharisees, they don't welcome him back, they don't celebrate, they don't give glory to God for what he has done in this man's life. Instead, they treat this guy like an outsider, they push him out, they cast him out of the synagogue. Now this is the context. This, this, poor, this demonstration of poor leadership from God's appointed leaders is the context in which the next two I am statements, which we've been seeing throughout the Gospel of John, John um, gives seven I am statements. Jesus says, I am this. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And today he gives us I am statement number three and number four when Jesus says, I am the gate or I am the door. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, typically, when we, when we read this passage in John 10, it appears to us to be a, a pretty comforting passage. And it is from the perspective of the sheep. There's a lot of, of really encouraging and assuring words that we as God's sheep have to hold on to. But really, the point of this discourse that Jesus puts forth is an indictment against these poor, corrupt religious leaders. Jesus is saying a hard word against the men who have failed, who have dropped the ball on God's commands and duties. Now, unfortunately, in the church today, there are the same pitfalls, where we see wolves in sheep's skin. We see false teachers. We see people operating the pastorate for selfish gain, which the scriptures, the New Testament, prohibits tells us to be on guard of that as pastors. And one of the things that we see is, is we see men undermining the commands of God, these false teachers who, who live and teach in a way that is contrary to God's word, and it has negative effect on God's people. Bad leadership has bad results. When, when there's poor leadership in God's household, these leaders pull people away from God instead of bringing people nearer to God. And while the leaders who have failed in this call will stand before God and give an account for their leadership on the day of judgment, what often gives their deceptive and damning ministry traction is the symbiotic relationship between these bad leaders and the itching ears of the sheep. In fact, this is one of the things that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. This is one of the duties of pastors or elders. But have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, when we see this, the fact that there are bad teachers, bad shepherds, and we have this natural inclination to have itching ears where we want, we want to hear things that will make us feel good even if they're not true, one of the concerns that pops up in this reality is, is asking the question, how, how do you know if you're truly one of Jesus' sheep? How, how do I know that I truly belong to the good shepherd? 
And one of the things that we see throughout all of the gospel accounts is that it is possible for us to think that we are truly one of Jesus' sheep, but in reality, we're a goat. Matthew 25 talks about that there will be at the end of time this judgment where the sheep and the goats are sorted out. For a time, they'll be together in one pasture. Those who are false sheep, goats, will be revealed as well. Now, John 10 speaks into this question. I I think this is an important question for us to ask, not not in a way that causes us to doubt our salvation, to to undermine the assurance of faith, but but make sure to validate, to check, and, and ensure that we are, in fact, truly living by faith. And Jesus says that there are essentially, in this passage, there's certainly a lot of other angles that we can take here, but there are two things that true sheep believe about Jesus, that he is the door, the gate, and he is the good shepherd. Now, Jesus gives us this initial statement of of both of these realities in John chapter 10, verses one through six, where he says, truly, truly, I say to you. Whenever Jesus Jesus says, truly, truly, it means pay attention. This is the truth. It's like really, really the truth. I'm telling you, truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This is a figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Now you can see why all that background context, you see the the shepherd showing up to a sheep, calling them out, this pen, the stranger, the sheep don't listen to the stranger, they listen to the shepherd. All of that is helpful in understanding what Jesus is saying here, but even with that background information that the original audience has, they can't put the pieces together. They don't understand that this whole thing, this this figure of speech that Jesus uses doesn't land with them. Now, this just shows it might take multiple passes for people to grasp the truth. Now, I think when you're in a missional community with people, and you're trying to present the truth of the gospel, you're trying to to present to them the truth of the scriptures, it may seem like the first pass didn't work, so I guess it'll never work, but that's not the case. It might take multiple passes for people to grasp the truth, and this is one of the reasons why, as you're on mission to people, inviting people to church, they show up one time, it's great, love it, so glad for people to come in, but if, if they don't come back the next week, that's okay, there's still time. It might take more passes. And because Jesus is like, like we saw in Jeremiah 3.15, the shepherd of God's own heart who will feed his sheep with knowledge and understanding, Jesus realizes that the people don't grasp what he's saying, and he kind of goes back and expands on this further in verses 7 through 10. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, hey, listen up again. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He makes that direct connection. You know I was talking about that door, that gate that you got to pass through? I am that door. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and destroy. I have come 
they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, all of these I am statements, if you remember, they're statements when Jesus says, I am, he's invoking the name of Yahweh. When God says to Moses, I am who I am. Moses says, who should I say is sending me? God says, I am who I am. So Jesus is essentially saying, I am God, but I am God in the sense that you need to understand how, in what sense, how I am God. And he says, I am the gate. I am the door. That you must pass through Jesus in order to go in and out of the pen into the pastures. Now, the pen is just a temporary holding place. The, the pen is, that's where the food is, that's where the water is, that's where life is, the freedom to move around. And Jesus uses this illustration of going in and out of the pen, of, of passing through the gate, as an illustration to point through that Jesus is the way to eternal life. That in order to get to the green pastures, in order to get to life, then life abundant that's out there, you must pass through him by faith. That's what verse 9 is saying. When Jesus says, I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so it's by faith in Jesus that we pass through the, the gate of the pen into God's kingdom. It's, it's what we pass through to believe that we're saved and transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And one of the things that we have to realize is that there are not multiple doors in this illustration. Jesus is not one door among many that you could possibly get out of the gate in, or get out of the pen into the pasture. Jesus says, I am the door. I am, we'll see it later in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one enters God's kingdom except through me. No one finds salvation except through Jesus. In fact, this is what Acts 4.12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the only door. Other religions look to Jesus and say, this, this guy, he, he was a, you know, a moral upright man, a good teacher. And they might go as far to say that Jesus is one way among many to get to salvation, to get to eternal life or whatever their version of salvation is. But Christianity rejects every other option besides Jesus. Christianity looks at these other ways to salvation as trap doors, false doors, they don't exist and this is why Jesus says they're so-called thieves and robbers. They're the ones who, in verse 10, come to steal, kill, and destroy. They don't have life. They can't provide that. They can't bring you to salvation. They are just deceiving you. And deception is costly. Deception means destruction. Deception means downfall. Deception means death. Now, this is why we are evangelical Christians. This is why we talk about mission together as the family of God, as God's people who have been brought into the flock of God who then are sent back out into the world to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, knowing that God still has more sheep out there in the world that he is calling to himself. And what God does, he use, uses us as a means to get his message out there in the world, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the gate 
And if you really love people, if you really care for people, if you're really concerned about their salvation and their eternity, you will develop a heart, a heart that is eager to proclaim the way of Christ. This is why mission is essential. All, all these other false ways are people's end. That's it. Now, I realize that as, as Christians profess that, there's oftentimes a reaction like, why, why can't Christians just play nice? Why, why can't we just get along? Why, can't, why, do we have this, you know, why do we have to exchange blows with these other worldviews, these other belief systems? When you say Jesus is the only way, it sounds so narrow. It sounds so, so close-minded. And at least people wondering, how, how can you dismiss all of these other religions? How can you say that all of these people are, are on a trajectory toward hell? That's a hard thing to wrap your mind around, but the answer is quite simple. These things. And not have to be apologetic. The reason why we can say these things and stand firmly in the gospel is because Jesus tells us this is so. Jesus says that he is the gate. There are no other gates. And so that way, yes, Christianity is exclusive. There are no other ways to get into the pastures. There's no other way to get to the abundant life, to human flourishing. But here's, here's what people often miss, is that in verse 19, or excuse me, verse nine, Jesus says that he is the gate that, that anyone can pass through. Now, we need to, to notice there's a difference between saying anyone can pass through it and everyone can pass through it, because we're not universalist here, that eventually everything will shake out and, and everybody will eventually pass through the gate of Christ. That's not what the scriptures testify to. But Jesus says, anyone who will come to him will be saved. Anyone who professes that he is Lord and believes in his heart will be saved. And so this is not an ethnocentric religion. In fact, many of us here are testaments of that. Not, not Very few of us, there might be like a 1% percentage of this ethnic Jews. See, the whole point of, of God being the shepherd was a specific relationship between God and the people of Israel, the Hebrews. And what Jesus is saying here as, as he shows us, he opens this up, that this, this gate that people pass through, it's not just the Jews who are gonna pass through this gate, but it's the Gentiles. Or in other words, it's the Jews and the non-Jews, which means that anyone is available to pass through this door. All kinds of people will pass through. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation will have people passing through the gate of Christ into eternal life. And this is what verse 16 points to when Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This fold that he's talking to right now is primarily Jewish people. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. So this is what this means. That in, in the, the church of God, there are not a bunch of sects. I mean, there are, but, but the way that God sees it, it's all of one fold. 
It's all one flock with one shepherd. And one day, I believe that God will refine his bride so that more and more, instead of seeing all these offshoots of different denominational divisions, we see this merging together of orthodoxy where the churches will become more, uh, there'll be more continuity between denominations. Because we'll, we'll live into this unification as the one flock, the one, one herd that belongs to Jesus, the great shepherd. Jews and Gentiles alike. So Jesus says, I am, I am the gate that all people must pass through to have eternal life. Now, I think there's a reason why we have these two I am statements back to back. That in other passages, there's like, he says, I am, I am uh, the bread of life. And he's got like two chapters to unpack that. John chapter eight, I am the light of the world. He's got like a chapter and a half to unpack that. And back to back, we see I am the gate. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, this shows us that, that Jesus doesn't intend for us to merely walk through the gate, walk through him, and then be put out in the pasture to wander to ourselves, to freely wander about, to go our own way, whichever way seems pleasing to us. God graciously gives us a good shepherd who is Christ, who knows and cares for his sheep. Verse 14 tells us, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus. I know my own and my own know me. Just as I know the Father, so I know you. We see that the shepherd is a shepherd who leads his sheep. Verse three and four, Jesus says, to the gatekeeper that opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out all his own, brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So we see Jesus, the good shepherd, who leads our way who directs us, and, and where does he lead us to? Verse 10 says he leads us into life and life abundant. He is a good shepherd who cares for his sheep. We see this knows, he cares, he leads cadence with this good shepherd. And when sheep have a good shepherd, they issue a response. They, they submit, they follow, they obey their shepherd. See, just as the sheep in this passage who hear the voice, they respond to the voice, so the sheep of God respond to the words of God. And this ought to give us a flashback to John chapter eight where, where Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You see that, the word, the voice, true sheep hear and respond to the shepherd's voice. Now this is where so many so-called Christians get turned sideways. This is one of the things that is plaguing modern day evangelicalism, where you have this pick and choose mentality. Like, I, I, like, I like the good shepherd who, who gives me eternal life. I like the good shepherd who, who brings me through the gate. I like that, that sounds nice. I like the shepherd who knows me. It's just so nice to be seen. I like that shepherd. I like the shepherd who, who cares for me who knows the needs of my soul, that even, even when I go to pray, before I can ask, he knows. He knows what I truly need. That's the kind of shepherd. I like that. But when it comes to following Jesus, to submitting to our shepherd, the Lord of all things, yeah, I don't like that. 
That's hard. I would prefer to go my own way. And we see this even, even in um, Isaiah. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. It's part of our confession this morning. We've all gone astray. We've all, we've all said, oh, I can do this myself. I don't need, I don't need the shepherd to lead me. And figured I'm gonna, at least in the areas of our life where we are fond of our sin, this is where the rub is. This is where, like, the rubber hits the road. Is Jesus really your shepherd? Like, is he, is, are you really submitting to him? Are you really following him in, in the ways of how you steward your time and your money? Are you really following him in, in, in matters of, of your sexuality? Husbands, are you really following him in the way that you lovingly lay down your lives for your wives and lead with conviction and courage? Loving her as you love your own body. Wives, are you submitting to your husbands out of reverence for Christ? Parents, are, are, we, are we raising our kids, not just in the way that seems pragmatic or efficient, but the ways that God tells us to? Bringing up in, in discipline, in, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. These are the places where the rub is on the Sabbath day. It's like Sunday feels like a day off, a free day for us, right? And if I feel like it, maybe I'll show up to church. Like, no, the Lord commands us to worship him and to worship him on the Sabbath day. These are places where the rub between, like, am I, am I truly going to submit? Am I going to truly obey and follow my shepherd or am I going to go my own way? And there are a thousand other ways that this gets worked out. When we say to ourselves, man, I, I think I got, I can be my own shepherd. I can go my own way. It's gonna work out just fine. When we do that, we're not realizing that our way undermines the full life, the abundant life that Jesus desires to give us. Every time we do that, it's like the story of, of, a, of a child who, who is so infatuated with playing in the mud, in the slums, he's making mud pies, that he can't even fathom the, the, the vacation, the holiday at the sea. Like we become so content in our own ways that we can't even think that God would have a better way for us, even if it's not the way that we would initially desire we take for ourselves. And when we do that, when we wander like that, we fail, listen to this, you have to hear me. When we refuse to follow Jesus the good shepherd, we fail to see Jesus' care for us is wrapped up in his command of us. Jesus knows his sheep so profoundly. Jesus cares for his sheep so thoroughly that every direction he leads them, it's always for their good, even when it's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Right, Romans 8, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. So that even when Jesus leads us down a bumpy, hard path, his care for us is wrapped up in his command of us. And when we refuse to follow his command, it reveals that we simply don't understand how good of a shepherd he is. We, we don't see how he's able to protect us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't see that his, his staff guiding us gives us a great deal of confidence through the hardships and trials of life. But oftentimes we also don't see 
is that as Jesus leads us away from sin, from destruction into the abundant life, the life full of joy, that pleasures are at his right hand forevermore. Not only does he lead us away from our sin into the abundant life, Jesus lays down his life for us. The shepherd gives up his life for his sheep at the cross. He doesn't just lead us away from sin, he saves us from our sin. Verse 14 says that I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I laid my life down for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. See, Jesus, by getting up on that cross, he's not just, Jesus didn't just live a good life that we would follow him in his ways. He died our death so that we could be saved from our sin. But don't get this twisted. Jesus is not a victim. Jesus is not a good guy that random bad things happen to. He willingly lays his life down. And and I think that these two verses are the toughest verses of the Bible. Like this is, this just like, verses 18 and 19. No one takes it from me. He's speaking of his life. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. That's tough. Nobody else can say that. Who can... I can lay down my life, I can't pick it up. See, this is why. This is why we can trust Jesus in all things. Nobody else can say that. No other gate can say that. No other shepherd can say that. Only Jesus can lead us through the grave and then three days later lead us into resurrection life. That's the kind of shepherd we have. And because Jesus has done that for us, willingly laid down his life, showed the Father's love for us, meets our biggest need. See, what what good is it to have a moral teacher to teach us the way to live when we still are guilty of our sins, when that weight still is bogging us down? Jesus had to come and lift that from us. And when we see the love of the Father demonstrated through the Son, we, as his sheep, respond to his voice. See, this, this is what will, will be an indicator of if you are truly one of Jesus' sheep or not. How do you respond to this? How do you, God has presented Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus has, is here as the gate. But will we listen to him? Will we obey his words even when it's hard, even when it doesn't feel good? And the true sheep will say, yes, I will listen to my shepherd. I will follow where he leads because Jesus leads us to eternal life. His words are eternal life. Jesus' words bring us not only to salvation, but right here, right now, as life continues to go into human flourishing. That we can learn what it means to really be alive, to be really, truly human. And so what I want to leave you with this morning is this, this question. 
Who's your shepherd? Everybody has a shepherd. Everybody's following someone or something. What shepherd do you follow? Are you, are you following a hired hand? Somebody who's gonna flee as Jesus says. They th- when trouble comes, boom, they bounce. They leave people high and dry. Are you gonna follow a robber who's trying to destroy you? Or are you gonna follow the good shepherd who desires to give you life and life abundant? Now maybe this morning you're, here, you're like, you are a sheep. You, your, your faith is in Christ, but maybe you're in a season of life where you're wandering you feel like you're, you're detached from your shepherd. You know he's brought you through the gate, but right now I'm just kind of living life on my own terms. I wanna, I wanna encourage you to come back to the fold. Come back to the fold. Return to your shepherd. God is gracious to grant repentance. It's turning away from sin and turning back to Christ. And maybe, maybe you're not wandering like full-fledged but you can identify a place in your life where, man, this, this is not in line with the way God directs me. This is not in line with the way that God commands me. Return. Turn away from your sin. And together, church, as the flock of God, let us follow our good shepherd. Let us know he is here to feed us, to lead us, to protect us, to guard us, to keep us. And God desires to use us as his sheep for his purposes. God God wants to use you to bring more sheep into the fold. Those people that are in your life that that they don't know Christ yet, that they're not following the good shepherd. They're the people who are being deceived by false teachers, that their their lives are, are being destroyed. God wants to use you to help bring them into the fold. And together, as we set our face to following our Savior who laid down his life for us, as we point people to one who who came and gave it all up for us, let us never forget that we follow a good shepherd. Let us pray. Father, thank you. We, We don't deserve a shepherd. Every single one of us has run off. Every single one of us has turned to our own ways. Every, every single one of us at one time or another has said, you know what, I think I know better. God, would you grant to us repentance and life abundant that Jesus came to give us? Would we be enamored by the glory and the beauty of our good shepherd? the one who, who lays down his life. No other God has done that. No other God has laid down his own life for the sake of his flock. But we see the true God, the true and living God has sent his son into the world so that he would be our sacrifice, our propitiation, our atonement, that his life would be ours and our life found in him. Where we come to the table this morning remembering that it was Jesus' body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed on our behalf, that, that by him we might be reconciled to you, that by him we may return to you as your children, as your sheep. And I pray, Lord, that this meal would help fasten us to our shepherd throughout this week. Keep us from wandering. Help us, Lord, to live in a life eternal to lay hold of this flourishing, the life abundant that you desire to give us. 
that in it you would be glorified and our joy would be complete. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 